Beyond the Level podcast is brought to you by tinyhomes.com, focused on consumer protection for people and companies within the world of tiny homes. For more information, contact us at support at tinyhomes.com. Hi, this is episode eight. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about tiny homes as ADUs as it relates to affordable housing. That is quite a mouthful. It really is. <laughs> um, so, Kenny, let's just start with what is an ADU? An ADU is an accessory dwelling unit. It's an accessory structure adjacent to a primary dwelling. And how do, like, tiny homes, like, how, how does the, that pertain to the tiny home space? Depending on city, county, state, there's limitations with how large an accessory dwelling unit can be. It's generally as it relates to the size of the primary home, so a percentage of the primary home. Those percentages change depending on, again, the rules of your local municipality. Um, but again, it's a, you know, it's a accessory structure and it tends tends to be somewhat small generally under a thousand square feet okay so how does an adu a tiny home as an adu relate to what does that have to do with affordable housing so i think one of the ideas in affordable housing and the topic of affordable housing is an incredibly complex conversation it's a problem that it's 20 episodes and it's <laughs> on its own, right? <laughs> it really is. It It's a problem that has really nagged at society for, you know, 85 years. It's something we've tried to solve and it feels like it's getting worse, not better. It feels like for, I know, speaking for myself personally, I feel like housing has become, you know, less and less affordable just personally where I'll, you know, when I was young, I felt like, you know, I could rent a room for 300 bucks and 500 bucks, but you could live, you know, I'd have an entire apartment for 500 bucks. Now it feels like you can't get anything for less than a thousand bucks. And it just, housing seems like it's just really gotten very, very expensive. And one of the ways in which to lower the cost of housing is through infill, in, so what does that mean? Infill being taking and increasing density. So taking land that is otherwise not being used and putting more housing units in them, right? We have a yard that's being used as a yard, but can we use a 5,000 square foot lot and can we take 1,000 square feet of that and have less yard to play in, but more home to live in? So it's a way that homeowners can capitalize on their property, their investment. Yeah, as well as so they can basically make revenue on the investment that they put into their accessory dwelling unit, recoup those costs. Their home is now worth more. They're able to have a rental or offer that to a family member or whatever else it might be. So it can be a nice situation, but it still can be really expensive. It's really hard to go out and build an accessory dwelling unit, really for, I mean, sometimes that number is certainly over 200,000. Most often it's certainly over 100,000. Pretty challenging to get it under 100,000 unless you're really, really cutting corners. And the city 
you know, cities and states and counties are not wanting you to cut corners and they're going to do everything to make sure you don't cut corners. So speaking of cities, how do cities handle ADUs? Like, are they, they want them, they don't want them, like they make the process easy, they make it challenging. Like what do, what's the, how do cities handle ADUs? It's, it's a great question, but it's also just impossible to answer, right? I think you, you call one city and their temperament for it is much different than another city. So there's no standardized, there's no like universal way that cities handle ADUs. It doesn't appear that way. I mean, I it feels like there's a different tone like here locally when you talk to the city of Portland or you talk to Clark County versus the city of Vancouver. So you kind of sometimes you're dealing with depending on where you live, you're you're working with the county, sometimes you're working with the city. Sometimes it seems like, you know, you're like, it's state regulated stuff that you're dealing with. So you have these various municipalities that you work with, depending on where you live. Rules vary depending on your zoning and they can drastically be different. I mean, your neighbor might be in a different zoning and be able to do something completely different with their property that you can't do on your property based on location, size, and many other factors. Number of buildings that you already have on your property and other elements. So I guess if someone was looking to build an ADU, like what are the steps that they would need to take? And how, I guess if someone was like trying to make it affordable or looking for it as a solution for affordable housing, um, I, I guess also, like, what are the examples, like, how would someone use, I'm asking you a lot of questions in this question, but, like, how would someone use an ADU um, to solve a piece of affordable housing, either for themselves or for other people? Common example is this. So you have an in-law who is at retirement age. They are either wanting to sell their home or they maybe are renting at this point and there's not only a value in maybe reducing their monthly payment but also being closer to family maybe that's helping with child care maybe that's just being close maybe that's some kind of connected element maybe that's with health concerns or being able to you know oversee your aging mom or dad or whatever else it might be so having that proximity can be really, really valuable. And so I think when people start to go out and plan for an accessory dwelling unit, it it really comes down to one, feasibility of the property. So doing an assessment of, does that specific property allow for accessory dwelling units today? So, okay, let's let's dig into that. Like, what does that look like? It looks like, specifically calling the city or the county, figuring out first who you talk to, which can be challenging onto itself, which can take literally hours because you think it's the city and actually it's not the city, it's the county. And you sort of get a bit what might feel like the runaround or just you get pushed around. And sometimes that can take a while because they're not always the fastest to respond to you. So you specifically have to give an address to whoever uh, whoever is going to help you in the building department. Do you think there's an issue with like, like within the city or county, maybe like they don't even, they're not clear on 
on whose jurisdiction it is or how it works or you think it's just it's something different than that their maps are going to tell you so their address they they, what they want to hear is what's the address Mm. so if you want general information without an address it's like really hard to have a conversation Mm. so hey can you give me some just general information about accessory dwelling units in clark county and oh i was wondering if i could build maybe a shop or you know things that are outside of accessory dwelling unit or just they want an address Mm. because they need to first understand what are the things that with accessory dwelling units if you have other structures on that property sometimes your property isn't going to qualify for it so if you're trying to build an accessory dwelling unit in a garage that because there's detached or you know there's a detached and attached accessory dwelling units, right? You could build an accessory dwelling unit in a garage or a detached garage. If that structure is sitting on a lot line, a zero lot line, maybe the that building was built a long time ago, the city's not going to really maybe allow you to do that. Or if you have to upgrade a bunch of stuff versus I'm going to build a new structure in the middle of my property, does it meet the setback requirements? Where can I put that pr- building on that property so I can meet the setback requirements. So it, it takes first talking to the city and sometimes that can be daunting. That can be really time consuming just to even get to the right person for them to give you that information that you need to even start the process. Then once they say, okay, yes, you do qualify for it. Like specifically an example, recently I was looking at a home in the city of Vancouver and the laws for the city of Vancouver would not have allowed for an accessory dwelling unit but because they were just out of city limits they were in Clark County and the rules were completely different and those laws are allowed for accessory dwelling unit and we're talking Vancouver Washington Washington, just just to clear that up for we're still talking the the U.S. sometimes Canadians like I know (laughs) so first is Is it possible? Second is, how are you going to pay for it? And how are you going to meet all of the laws and regulations to be able to do that? And there's a lot. You have to sort of go through this process. You have to go through an approval process that on your own is incredibly daunting. And when you have to hire professionals to do it, it's expensive. That involves potentially structural engineering, architecture, and then some kind of general contractor that might manage that process for you. Or if you're doing it on your own, it's still architect. Or if you're trying to draw it out on your own, it just, they're going to ask for a lot of stuff and it feels really daunting. And, but they're not really looking to bend on that stuff. It just sometimes feels very rigid And their systems aren't, there seems like there's still a lot of friction. So I think what I've noticed is that in affordable housing, there's always been a lot of talk with like push for affordable housing. How do we make affordable housing? What are incentives? What is the city doing politically to allow for affordable housing? So politically, you kind of, there's a fight for, hey, look, we need more affordable housing units. And how can we create incentives for density? And what can we do over here and over there? But when the rubber meets the road and you pick up the phone, you start to call the city, you're like, it doesn't always feel like they're in that same place. They're in the place to sort of like prevent it from occurring. 
their tone is never really trying to make it as easy as possible. A conversation like this, I call the city and they say, oh, you're looking to build an accessory dwelling unit? Oh, wow, let me help you. Let me just talk to you about the process rather than go visit our website and find all these links that maybe are relevant, maybe have misinformation, maybe are helpful, but really don't give you everything that you probably need. Where there's, let me talk to you through this. And here's our incentives that we have for financing. Here are incentives that we have and options we have for the structure itself that we can help you with. This is what Kenny's saying ideally would happen, not what actually happens. This is what I, where I feel like we're sort of up against some friction and like this struggle. And like the conversation today is around accessory dwelling units, not as much as a tactical element, but as it relates to affordable housing. And that's why I'm sort of focused on this conversation today and maybe about a bit about why it's not as affordable as I'd like it to be and where I think maybe there's some room to make it more affordable and some of the frustrations that you can come up with, you know, come up against when you're out there trying to produce an affordable home for a customer and you feel like you're beating your head against the wall and that really you don't have the city behind you and you feel like the city is sort of making it just harder and harder and harder for you. And so what do you do as a contractor? You jack the price way up because you can't afford the amount of time that the cities are going to take to push you through approval and deny things and make you get a million permits and just make the process hard and not sort of linked and succinct. It feels like it's very seg, you know, segmented and there's a lot of, they, they're very reluctant to like put things in writing. They'll like maybe tell you and they can be very cagey and they'll require you to go find out the information rather than just offering it to you from a liability and legal perspective. It doesn't really feel like they're in the space to like truly help. They might say, yes, they're doing, they have this incentive or they have this benefit or they're going to waive some fee. Waiving a fee is a lot different than supporting homeowners and truly supporting builders through kindness and, you know, and I get it. They're trying to safeguard, you know, themselves with making sure that homes aren't built unsafe. But you know what happens is people, they either, they just don't want to deal with the city at all. So they just go and build completely not talking to them because they're too fearful of the process that you run up against. So they end up just doing the plumbing all that don't even ask anything. Don't ever talk to them whatsoever and do the plumbing on your own, do the electrical on your own, do every single detail on your own. Never bring them in whatsoever and hope for the best because that feels like a lot less friction and a lot easier, even though it adds a lot more. If the, if people knew like, well, I can go to the city, but they're going to really support me and help me and give me money and really help me through this process and make it easier for me and allow my home to be safer, allow me to loan against it easier. And that was the general sentiment for the, you know, person trying to do this on their own. I think it would, I think we would find that affordable housing, that would be a way that we could drive the cost down on units sometimes. So that's, that's a kind of looking into the future, like ideally what hopefully can happen um, but right now, currently, what is some advice that you would give someone when looking to build an ADU? I think it's figure out your budget. Be clear about your budget. Clear. Be clear. And about understand it. that your budget isn't just about the cost for building the ADU. That there's other things that you might need to consider in the budget. There's a ton in the budget. 
that is way beyond what yeah. you're going to normally think about. So electrical, for example, you're going to put an accessory dwelling unit on your property and you have an old electrical box. You can't just attach to that old electrical box. You have to replace the entire electrical box. You might have to replace, you know, lines coming into your home or other non-grounded lines or other elements. So things that will, it will like trigger these other details that you otherwise wouldn't have to deal with at all. I think it's coming up with a clear way to finance that home. If you have cash, that's obviously a much easier way to do it. But if you don't, figuring out how to finance that home so that it's easy, there are ways to do it through things that sometimes today people are reluctant to refinance their house to get the money they need because they're going to be paying a higher interest rate. There are ways to get a loan on an accessory dwelling unit through... What's an example? Do you have an example of that? Yeah, so there are... There are loans out there where that they take a second lien position on the home and loan you money for the post value once the accessory dwelling unit is in place. So they give you money on that and they attach it as a second loan to your existing loan rather than having to refi your mm-hmm. primary mortgage, which then adjusts your rates typically up if you took you know, your loan, you know, within the last, you know, whatever, you know, 10 years. So maybe it's higher now or it feels, you know, and so it's, there's less incentive to do that. I don't really want to refinance my house to get the money I need. So there are ways to, you can get personal loans, but those interest rates are high and the terms are high, right? Sometimes it's not about the rate. It's about the term. The term is so short that it, it jacks the price way up on you. Sometimes it's about you're having a hard time of getting qualified and approved. So, you know, some of it comes down to the, certainly the finances. If you have the finances and you have the realistic budget, and then can you justify that payment over a period of time? Can you, okay, I can justify this. I'm going to be able to pay this out over 30 years. The payment's going to be a thousand dollars and either great. That makes sense. Cause my in-law is willing to pay the thousand dollars a month because they were paying fifteen hundred dollars a month on their apartment. Now they're paying a thousand, and they get to live close to us, so that's great. Or you know what, we're going to spend this hundred and fifty thousand now, and we're going to have renters, and we're going to be able to rent, you know, that home. And so what happens is, if the cost goes up, then they charge more for rent. If they pay less, then they can maybe make it more affordable for those renters. So so let's talk a little bit about short-term rentals and ADUs. Like, how does that work? Like, why would that be enough? Why would someone want to do that? How does the city handle that? I mean, that's honestly, that's a can of worms. I mean, that's a probably, a, that might be a conversation for another podcast. I, mean, I think the whole short-term rental thing is it is really is a challenging conversation to have. And one, again, it varies per city and state and county, just the temperament of your neighbors. Um, I think there's some negative sentiment around short-term rentals. I think there's probably a glut in the market currently. There's a lot more short-term rentals locally here than there used to be. 
and it makes it a lot more challenging. I think that people sometimes have this idea that it's free money and it's not. It's a lot of work and doesn't always mean you're going to make more. I think the cities in general are incentivized to make you or have you rent out that accessory dwelling unit as a long-term rental and sometimes will fine you and or require you to sign a covenant that says you will not rent that accessory dwelling unit for 10 years as a short-term rental and if they catch you doing it they will fine you so there there's a lot of push to disincentivize the short-term rental even though for cities the short-term rental they make quite a bit of tax dollars on that short-term rental where they make a significantly more amount on short-term lodging taxes than they do on, you know, property taxes depending on the location. Here locally, if you were to rent a home, let's say you had a short-term rental and you rented it 100 nights a year, and, you know, general taxes you paid on your property were 3000 a year, you would probably be you know, paying more than that in lodging taxes. Again, those numbers vary depending on some cities charge a lot of property tax per year and other char others charge very little. So it's a hard it depends, thing yeah. to communicate about. But I think people, you know, accessory dwelling units are certainly used for short-term rentals and that can be a good solution. Um, does it helps that... in the affordable housing piece for the home note. So yeah, so it's like it helps. And I think sometimes it's it's interesting because it's like this two-sided conversation, right? So like when you talk about affordable housing, I think sometimes people think about affordable housing as it relates to just renters. And really, sometimes as an owner, you're struggling against those same things. As an owner of a home, you're in a home that your mortgage is expensive. And maybe your mortgage is the same as it ever has been. But your other expenses have gone up and your income hasn't kept up with that. So now your mortgage is gobbling up a lot more resources or now your kids are gobbling up more of those resources or whatever it might be. So things are just getting more expensive. Your cars are more expensive. Gas is more expensive. Travel is more expensive. Your mortgage might be the same, but it's, it's causing or you need a reduction in that mortgage to make everything else work. The short-term rental sometimes feels like a great solution. I think sometimes people realize over time that that isn't a great solution because it's a ton of work mm -hmm. and they're like glorified. You know, you're basically having to work, you know, cleaning your house all the time and managing customers and repairing your house. And there's a lot of elements that can come up that can be challenging. It's not free money. I think sometimes you can actually make better money on a long-term rental just depending on your location. Sometimes short-term rental is a great fit. So let's get back to um, the ADU and advice to someone looking to. So outside of budget, what's what are what's other advice that you? Would I give think someone? one of the big ones is design. If you look, you have to match up your budget with the design. So if you have this really elaborate design, it's going to be harder to meet that budget. If you have a limited budget, limited budget meaning you're going to build a three or 400 square foot accessory dwelling unit and you want it to be under $150,000, you know, you, 
need to pick and make choices that are going to drive the cost down. Those are, be, are, those are simple roof lines, shingle roofs over metal roofs, you know, things that save money, right? Like not all high-end everything. Appliances or mid-grade appliances and cabinetry that's mid-grade, not high-end appliances. All the details. Flooring that's mid-grade to low-grade. If you take high-end everything and want all of it, the costs go really, really high. And then the infrastructure costs are sort of those infrastructure costs that really can be very high. And sometimes those variables are really unknown and hard to predict. Like electrical in particular can be a hard one to sort of know until you get into it. I mean, it can be a, it can be a, assessed prior to doing the build, but things do come up that can change the price. Um, but all of those elements from foundation to electrical to plumbing can be, if you, you know, focus on simplicity of design, that's one way to save some cost. So figure out what your budget is, what you can afford, how maybe you could potentially get financing for it. Um, figure out like what your design is and how that meets up with your budget. Um, anything else before we wrap up? I, mean, I think one of the things that cities look for, they require in, for good or for bad. They want the aesthetic to match the primary building. So if you have a certain siding, they want you to match that siding or have a similar aesthetic. They want you to match similar colors often. It's not 100% this way, but it's often when you look at accessory dwelling unit rules and regs, they're going to want a similar look. They're going to want similar roof lines, where you position it. So looking at sort of those elements, trying to position a home on a slope significantly more expensive than on a flat, doing sort of the assessment of that earth those can cause can drive costs way up but also if your home is very elaborate and aesthetic you're going to be required to somewhat match that aesthetic and so the cost might you be might be forced to sort of meet that same look versus going with something simpler so you kind of have to line up some of those so you're not always able to the design isn't you know, necessarily determined by you. It could be determined by like often your design is somewhat going to be determined by the existing structure. What does your existing, you know, what does your existing structure look like? Knowing like, okay, this is a, my existing structure is pretty simple. Okay. I'm going to be able to get away with a more simple look if I, but if you have a super elaborate look, you might be more bound to match that roof slope and aesthetic to, how it's looked, how it's laid out, you might be required to sort of match that, which drives costs up. Okay, well, is there anything else about ADUs that... I mean, there's a lot to talk about with ADUs. Um, I mean, I think we've covered a lot. I'm sure that, you know, people are now even maybe more confused than when they <laughs> started listening. It, I mean, it's a confusing, it's not a simple, I think sort of the... <laughs> lesson of the day is it's not so simple you know it seems like it could be a good option and it can be a good option for people but just go into it a little clear-headed or clear-eyed what's the phrase yeah clear? i mean it, yeah. you have to go with clear i mean at the end of the day it, you're required to have a you know a certificate of occupancy that's your end game that's the goal 
the city, you have to go through all of the processes and all the things. So you kind of have to figure out what the city needs and meet every single of their requirements. Because at the end, they either they have to make it legit for you or you're up against a can of worms. And so it's like, how do you focus on what do they need? How do they do it? And how do you streamline that process to make it all work in the budget that you have set? All right. Well, that's all we got for episode eight, our discussion on ADUs. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Beyond the Level podcast is brought to you by tinyhomes.com, focused on consumer protection for people and companies within the world of tiny homes. For more information, contact us at support at tinyhomes.com.